Good afternoon and welcome along. Dennis Stewart, how are you? You've had a nice week? Dave, I've had a wonderful week, um, enjoying my practice and uh, working with my bees. You've spoiled me because we spoke off air and I said, <laughs> will you bring me in a jar of honey? And I did. And you did, and I didn't think you'd remember. I was talking to my wife Lucy about it last night. I said, he's so busy, he'll probably forget. But you have, so... I have, and it's the best honey in the world. She's looking forward to doing some Is cooking she really? with that. Yeah, okay. she said, oh, I'll cook with that, that'd be lovely. As long as I get a bit. That's from your bees. Yeah, that's fantastic. <laughs> that indeed. You've got a very interesting and quite a timely topic today, too. We're looking at bowel health. Yeah, look, a lot of people probably don't realise that the bottom end of our body, that is the bowel or what's called the colon, the large bowel, it's the seat of many diseases. Mm. And one of the worst, of course, is the uh, is cancer of the bowel. And yet even that sinister disease uh, can these days uh, be picked up by way of diagnosis early and the consequences even of bowel cancer can be uh, much less serious than they were in the past due to investigation, early intervention, and and good medical and surgical procedures. So I want to talk just a little bit today about things we can do uh, to improve bowel health and lessen the likelihood of multiple diseases afflicting that part of our body. Terry from Cessnock, good afternoon to you, Terry. How do you do? Hello, Terry. How can we help you? Well, I have a problem with arthritis. Yes, arthritis. yes. And because I'm taking a certain drug prescribed by the doctor, yes, I am not uh, allowed to take um, a medication prescribed for arthritis. Okay, so you, you, your doctor has prescribed medication, and and because of that, you can't take drugs such as Mobic and Celebrex and maybe other. Uh, non-steroidal anti-inflammatories. So you, you're probably on, on, what, a blood-thinning medication? Uh, it's a bit stronger than that, it's eloquent. Okay. Well, look, um, there are other ways of um, seeking to reduce inflammatory activity and lessen your discomfort. The first thing I'd ask, though, is, uh, Terry, are you experiencing what's called osteoarthritis or rheumatoid arthritis? Uh, osteo. Okay. That's a wear and tear condition. And have you discussed with your doctor uh, the usage of things like glucosamine and chondroitin? No. Okay. Look, glucosamine and chondroitin are basically nutritional substances which are very popularly used these days as a means of quietly and progressively uh, lessening some of the symptoms of osteoarthritis. Right. And there are many products in the marketplace uh, I have a product which I developed called Glucosaplex, and it would be available uh, from Sally Bowen's practice, actually, in uh, in Cessnock. Um, right. But there are other brands as well. Um, it's something that you should raise with your doctor. I don't know the full gamut of your medication, but... Yeah, it... well, I, I, I beg your pardon. I'm, I'm going to see him on good, Thursday. Good, good. Be... I was, mm. well, was going to take some information yes. from you and yep. have a discussion with him. Well, uh, wander up... Um, to uh, to Sally Bowen's uh, practice just up near up near Goldman's in the same street yeah, as Goldman's. Yeah, I know where it is. Right, and get the get the papers that I've written on glucosamine and glucosaplex. And right, use, would, use would that. Would you mind spelling that? My yeah. wife will write it down for me. Uh, G L U C O S A P L E X glucosaplex. 
Now, that's available, of course, from Sally, but so is the literature. And for listeners generally, my Glucosaplex product is available from my rooms at New Lambton, 39 Alma Road, and also from Vitology Health Food Stores. So I discuss it as a starting base. Also discuss with your doctor the popular use of an extract of turmeric called curcumin, C-U-R-C-U-M-I-N, curcumin. Now, they're two starting bases. I would be surprised, Terry, if there were a problem with them, but um, it's always wise, particularly if you are on a a complex or sophisticated drug routine, to work it through uh, with your doctor to ensure that he can monitor your condition and give you the nod to try it. Angela joins us now from Stockton. Good afternoon, Angela. Good afternoon. Hello, Angela. Hi, Dennis. How are you? I'm well indeed. How can we help you? I've recently been diagnosed with multiple sclerosis, which is being controlled, um, and I get regular massage therapy, and I've been advised of colonic irrigation would might be a good thing for me, and I'm just wondering what your thoughts are on all of that, please. I can't see how colonic irrigation would be of any benefit to you. In fact, I'll just explain to listeners what we're talking about. Colonic irrigation is very similar to what's called an enema, It is where the bowel or the colon is flushed uh, completely uh, with with water uh, or is irrigated, to use the term. It was a technique that was used very popularly by European naturopaths many years ago um, Mm -hmm. because it was considered then uh, that uh, many chronic diseases uh, were associated with a toxic environment in the bowel. I'm not sure that that rationale or philosophy these days can be sustained and in my opinion it's nowhere near as popular a technique even in Europe uh, today as it was then. And Now uh, sometimes there is a need uh, to irrigate the bowel as with an enema but that is usually done in a, in a monitored uh, hospitalised environment to treat particularly uh, certain conditions such as uh, chronic constipation. Um, I can't see how that would have any significant bearing on what seems to be a very good management that you're presently having. And the, yeah. down, the downside to colonic irrigation, in my opinion, is that if it is pursued too frequently, and I know some people that have it very, very regularly, in my opinion, it can disturb the balanced environment of the large bowel and upset the good and bad bacteria balance and may even precipitate some okay. bowel conditions, uh, perhaps even exacerbate a hemorrhoid condition. Now, I'm not putting it down entirely. There may be a place for it. Uh, I don't uh, practice it or recommend it. I look at it from a historic or historical perspective. And uh, these days, I think, with what we know about uh, helping the bowel with good nutrition, uh, probiotics, those sorts of things, any need for that technique even, in my opinion, has been transcended. I wouldn't advise you. Okay, thank you so much. Pleasure. Thank you. And we've got Ken joining us now from Lake Haven and the topic Crohn's disease, Ken. Yeah, yeah. How are you, Ken? Not too bad, Dennis. How are you? Uh, well, indeed. I'll just explain to the listeners what we're talking about. Crohn's disease, like ulcerative colitis, is referred to as an inflammatory bowel disease and it's a a serious disease and very difficult to manage Uh, these days thankfully with some of the immunosuppressant medications and the steroid medications that are used 
by our specialists, the condition is much better managed than what it was many, many years ago. Where are you at as far as your Crohn's disease is concerned? Uh, well, um, I, just, I just rub uh, stuff on my body uh, and then, then, um, then I, I'll take... Um, uh, then I'm on... A, uh, he's mixed me up a cream and that for the itch and all that, you know. I think you might. I think what are you sure you're talking about Crohn's disease? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, yeah. okay. Um, I'm not aware of that management. Usually, Crohn's disease is a disease that affects the large bowel or the intestine. Um, I'm not aware of the treatment you're referring to. Usually, with any inflammatory bowel disease, my contribution from complementary medicine is to suggest particularly the use of herbs like slippery elm. Now, with bowel health, and we're talking now alternative yes, medicine, yes, is yes. there some areas that, that can help out with herbal medicine? Uh, uh, herbal medicine, and more importantly, Dave, um, bowel health, in my opinion, can be uh, promoted by taking on board some fairly simple lifestyle emphases. For instance, and listeners might like to jot this down, if we see what I'm going to say as a, as a, as a, as a range of procedures that, in my opinion, helped the bowel, well, we'd have achieved what we set out to do today. One of the things that I emphasise as far as bowel health is concerned is ensuring that the diet, let me emphasise the diet, is characterised by particular features. Number one, what's called soluble fibre. Now, soluble fibre comes in many forms, but people would relate soluble fibre to psyllium, as in metamucil, or slippery elm. Soluble fibre assists transit time and assists the bowel wall and also promotes healthy stool formation. So I see it as one of the most useful devices and it needs to be seen as a very important thing, particularly in a Western diet where fibre of any form doesn't exist. Soluble fibre is fibre that absorbs fluid or water and as such is less likely to dehydrate and cause problems in its transit through the gut. The second thing that I emphasise is that the diet should be characterised characterised by a large amount of fresh fruit and vegetables. This is taken on board everywhere these days. We do not, as a society, emphasise sufficiently the fundamental importance of fresh fruit and vegetables in our diet, uh, conservatively cooked or used raw, keeping in mind that those foods contain not just vitamins and minerals, but what are called phytochemicals. And those phytochemicals have been shown by researchers even on bowel cancer to have a resisting effect on certain bowel pathologies. So that's very important. The inclusion of more beans and lentils in our diet is a principle also that I promote as far as maintaining bowel health. And this is controversial, Dave. I recommend a reduction, not a curtailment, but a reduction on the obsession that we have with large amounts of red meat in our diet. Mm. There's a, a general consensus, I believe now, even emerging in mainstream medicine, that a heavy red meat emphasis in the diet may encourage certain bowel pathologies. I encourage people to move in the direction of the Mediterranean diet and the Japanese diet, which emphasise large amounts of seafood. The two longest, or one of the most longest living populations in the world, uh, that is a group of Japanese, can be shown to eat fish 
in large amounts. So I promote a fish diet as a diet that is more encouraging for bowel health. And then, of course, to make sure that what we call probiotics are very popular and present in the diet in things like yoghurt, good quality yoghurt, Yakult, Inner Health Plus is a product, for instance, that it promotes this idea. But any form of a probiotic, uh, Yakult, those sorts of things, what those entities do is colonise, if you like to use that terminology, colonise the bowel with healthy microorganisms that resist some bowel pathologies. So there are some things that I believe... This is my opinion, working with, with, with diseases of the bowel over many years. There are things which I believe encourage bowel health and lessen the likelihood of the emergence of some bowel pathologies. We're talking about what we can do there to help assist the area, the bowel, and also prevention. Yes. But what about if you should find that you do have bowel okay. cancer? Is there something that can be done to assist in alternative well, medicine? The first thing we need to realise is that if bowel cancer is, is perceived early enough, it's a very manageable condition. I, I see it in the same way perhaps as prostate cancer and breast cancer. If it's perceived quickly enough, surgical procedures are very successful and the prognosis is, is much better than what it was years ago. It is only when diagnosis is, is late in the day and, the, and the, the cancer has jumped the bowel wall, so to speak, and has moved to other organs such as the liver that it becomes difficult. And you say, is there anything that, that herbal medicine could do? I have patients now that would say that in conjunction with mainstream oncology, their bowel cancer and secondaries associated with it are doing better than what they should be doing. And that's all I'm prepared to say because there are people out there that can misinterpret it and think that there is a herbal alternative to the mainstream management. There isn't. And what I would say to listeners is this. If you have a family history, as my wife has, of bowel cancer, make it known to your GP so that you can periodically have investigation uh, as you get on in life, probably a colonoscopy every four years or so, just to ensure that the bowel is not afflicted by any cancerous or precancerous lesions such as polyps. I think the role of complementary medicine is more from the preventative side, Dave, and if and when a cancer or a disease like that asserts itself, looking at ways where herbal complementary medicine diet may assist the mainstream but not be in competition with it. At Fullerton Cove this afternoon, talking about turmeric, it's Robin. Good afternoon. Good afternoon. Hello, Robin. Uh, hello, Dennis. I was just wondering, does turmeric or curcumin come in a liquid form? Uh, uh, certainly, um, turmeric could come in a liquid form. It could be converted into what's called a liquid extract. That means the crude powdered substance would be um, processed with uh, an ethanol-based menstruum or liquid. And what would happen is uh, the active principles in turmeric, that is particularly the curcumin, would go into solution. It's not a popular way of using curcumin uh, or turmeric. Uh, in my opinion, even the processing of it in that form, I'd have reservations about whether or not you would uh, adequately be able to extract all the goodies and whether or not in a liquid form it would be pleasant to take. Uh, dosage would have to come into it. I would encourage you, if possible, 
to veer in the simpler side, and that is if you're using turmeric uh, to use it in its powdered form as a food, particularly with a bit of black pepper, use it in your cooking. Um, and if you're using curcumin, take it in one of its finished forms as a capsule or a tablet. Um, I think that's a better way of getting value from it. That's my opinion. Oh, thank you for that. It's just that my daughter can't swallow tablets. Okay. Well, then, look, what she could be able to do, what she could be able to do, um, you can generally get uh, powdered curcumin and it can be turned into what might be called a slurry. Let me explain right. that to you. My, I have a, what's called a, a product called Glucosaplex powder. I also have Glucosaplex tablets. Some people like to use the powder, and the way they make it takeable, if you like, is to take the teaspoonful of the powder and mix it initially with a little bit of water or juice and make a slurry of it, like a, a paste, and then top it up with the liquid to make it uh, in, a, in, a, in a soluble liquid form so that the whole of the powder has gone into almost a thick shake, so to speak. Okay. That way, even, um, I suspect, using um, using turmeric in that way uh, might be worthwhile trying. Okay, thank you very much for that. Thank you. Thank you, bye. All right, and we continue with calls right now. Our next call coming to us from Patterson is Margaret. Good afternoon. Oh, good afternoon. Hello, Margaret. Um. Dennis, um, I was a very healthy and active um, mm. person until 18 months ago and I was diagnosed with polymyalgia rheumatica. That's a nasty one, isn't it? Very nasty. I'll just explain to listeners what that is. Uh, polymyalgia rheum rheumatica is a, a medical term that's used to describe uh, muscular pain virtually all over the body. And it's a pain characteristic of rheumatic pain. Myalgia is the technical term that's used to describe uh, muscle pain, muscle inflammation. Uh, so polymyalgia rheumatica means a painful rheumatic condition affecting the muscles all over the body. Is that a good enough definition? That is uh, a very good definition, yes. Okay. Now, uh, are you presently taking prednisone? Yes, yeah, I, I yeah. began on 25 milligrams. Yes, I'm yeah. now down to four, but yes. I don't seem to be able to get off it. Okay. But I'm doing fairly well, but well, I, I'm conscious of that I'm not the person I used to be. Okay. Well, your doctor has probably explained to you that uh, an interpretation of polymyalgia rheumatica is that it's an immunological problem more than anything else. It yes. tends to be in the same ilk as an Epstein-Barr viral infection or a, or a Ross River fever in as much that the, mm. Im the immune system uh, seems to be implicated uh, more in it than other forms of inflammatory activity. So my approach as you, using complementary medicine is that when patients have reached lower levels of prednisone or steroid, and let me just say to listeners that the medical management for polymyalgia rheumatica is usually quite successful in as much that high doses of steroid or prednisone are offered initially to address, to address the acute early stage and the dosage is lowered progressively so that the patient begins to benefit some of the problems with the high doses are now bypassed and when you get down to about five um, you're reaching that point where uh, the treatment is usually uh, settling down and then the doctor's task is to wean you and other people at that level down to lower levels and hopefully off it. Now, what I've found is that at this point, using a preparation that I had a lot to do 
in bringing into Australia 25 years ago a preparation called Astragalus 8. Oh, yes, I've heard of that. That's a great preparation because what it basically is is a recovery remedy. It's a nice term to use regarding Astragalus 8 because it helps people recover from assaults on their immune system, whether it be associated with the Epstein-Barr virus, cytomegalovirus, Ross River fever, or other uh, causative factors that have overwhelmed the immune system and brought about a response such as yours. I would, while you're on 4MGs, um, mm. if I were on 4MGs, I put it that way, and you're doing well, um, I, I would run it past your GP. I'm sure there'd be no objections. Yes. Uh, go and start to take some astragalus 8. Where do you live? I'm at um, Patterson, near Maitland. Oh, well, you'd be able to get it from your health food store in Maitland quite easily, yes. if not from your pharmacist. I'd yes. run that past him. The, the other thing that might be useful is, might be useful, is, mm. to, get, is to get a good standardised preparation of curcumin. Yes, I heard you talk about Now, curcumin, about your pharmacist in particular, as well as your health food proprietor, would know a lot about hmm. curcumin and the way in which it's been put forward these days as a gentler, uh, non-steroidal anti-inflammatory agent. Hmm. It could get you down from four to three to two, and you never know. Yeah. Okay. That sounds good. Okay. <laughs> I've written all that down. Well, there you go. Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> Our topic today, a very important one. We're talking about bowel health and uh, prevention along those lines. And I wanted to talk to you about something that a lot of people enjoy. They'll go home from work today. They might have a nice glass of wine, a glass of red wine or something. Yes. How does that factor into our bowel health? Well, it factors in, in my opinion, so very much um, that by living in the Hunter Valley... <laughs> in the vineyard area, yeah. Very much indicative of my support of the idea that a healthy, regular use of good quality red wine, particularly Shiraz, Cabernet Sauvignon, the, the heavier red wines, it makes a significant contribution, in my opinion, based on the literature and what is even creeping through in the medical literature, that red wine listeners might be impressed to know this, contains a substance called resveratrol. Now, whilst resveratrol these days is being put out there as an extract that could be obtained from things like grapes and that, the literature suggests that the red wine way of using resveratrol gets a better result. Uh, in the book Foods That Fight Cancer, that we refer to frequently on this program, written by Belleville and Gingras, they make that point that the claims for resveratrol and its benefits on bowel health and resisting certain bowel pathologies um, is very much associated with resveratrol's presence mm -hmm. in good quality red wine. So I emphasise the importance of good quality red wine. In fact, last night my wife and myself broke open a bottle of red wine that was... Oh, my mouth is still tingling as a result of it. It was so magnificent. Uh, unfortunately, in this case, it came from McLaren Valley. So it, it was not a hunter red, no. but it was delightful. And we regularly climax our day with a glass or two of good quality red wine, which I would like to think, Dave, is doing something, mm -hmm. as it is claimed, for the health of the intestinal tract, particularly the large bowel. And also, as listeners would know, in this context... The two men that we mentioned a moment ago that have done so much 
uh, to relate food to resisting uh, diseases like cancer, particularly of the bowel. The two Canadians working in Quebec have emphasised, as you would have heard me and listeners would have heard me, the regular usage of turmeric in the diet. Mm. A teaspoonful of turmeric uh, blended with with, uh, black pepper is considered to provide a useful resisting medium also to many bowel pathologies. So in addition to what I've said about changes in diet and swinging more towards fish, soluble fibre, a lot of fresh fruits and vegetables, the Mediterranean diet with its emphasis on red wine and the Asian diet with its emphasis on turmeric, bring that into it and in my opinion you're doing something to resist the wretchedness of the diseases that afflict that part of our body. Nice to know and a great topic to talk about today. Let's continue with your calls. Waiting patiently for us at Campbell. Hello, Pat. Hello. Hello, Pat. How can we help you? Oh, hello, Dennis. Um, look, I'm actually ringing for my daughter because she can never get to the phone okay. with her job when you're on. She has um, allergic conjunctivitis. Okay. I'll... And she's suffering something terrible and she's been to two eye specialists and with all the drops and everything and it's just so debilitating. She just cries. And she, she's a, it's, it's a chronic thing. It keeps recurring. Oh, she's, uh, yeah, it virtually okay. hardly ever goes okay. away. And she sometimes she hangs her head down. She's got okay. the tissues. She's wiping sort of stuff, okay. and the stuff that gets stuck in her eyes. Sometimes she can hardly see and she, she won't drive okay. the car. She's in her 40s. Okay, look, what, what I would recommend, and I've, I've got to be quick here, I would recommend this uh, as a possible help. I don't know your daughter's condition. I don't know the nature of the treatment. But my approach to this would be to seek to build up some natural... Uh, improvement in her mechanisms that would fight this inflammatory and allergenic condition. So the first thing I would emphasize is that she put herself onto some what are called bioflavonoids. Now, bioflavonoids, they're a very popular group of plant-based substances and very readily available. Bioflavonoids, and particularly one called quercetin, I'll spell it for you, Q-U-E-R-C-E-T-I-N. Bioflavonoids are used by complementary therapists to address recurrent conditions that are based on allergic reactions. So I would bring that into her diet and keep her on it for a trial to see if that lessened her allergenicity and therefore lessened the assertion of this eye condition. That's principle number one. The second thing, the second thing that I would emphasise is the potential role of, again, using herbal medicine based on the following herbs that would be mixed up by a compounding pharmacist or a dispensing herbalist, such as myself or others around the town. And a couple of the important herbs would be as follows. Um, Eyebright, golden seal, and echinacea. Now, those three herbs in liquid form would be compounded, a dose would be established for them, and that would be taken ongoingly. There are two ways of helping using a nutritional approach of bioflavonoids, incorporating quercetin, a herbal medicine approach based on popular herbs that are used to address upper respiratory tract problems and also conditions of the ear, nose, throat and even the eye in this case in conjunctivitis I would do that as a starting base and from your health food store get hold of a little product called Ferrum Foss 
It's abbreviated F-E-R-R-P-H-O-S, Ferrum Foss, with a 6X beside it. Now, I know that sounds very esoteric and mysterious. It's not. It's a homeopathic form of iron phosphate. And those little pillules have proven over a 100 or so years to be an excellent approach for addressing conditions that, have, that manifest themselves in redness, heat and discharge. I'd be surprised if she didn't get benefit. Now, Sylvia, you'd like to talk a little bit further about polymyalgia rheumatica? Well, actually, um, I have fibromyalgia rheumatica, and I wondered, A, what the difference is. Uh, Fibromyalgia is is a a similar uh, condition, and what I said about polymyalgia, uh, I'd relate to that condition. You would. And you said to take curcumin. I didn't quite catch. I came in when you had started talking about it. And is curcumin Mm. in turmeric or is that a separate thing? Curmic is the active principle extracted from turmeric. And the reason it is extracted is that it would be very difficult to use enough turmeric in conditions of pain and inflammation to to get the benefit that curcumin gets. So curcumin is extracted and it is administered and is more likely to give a benefit. Even taking large amounts of turmeric would probably not give you the same benefit as isolating curcumin from it. All right, we've got Michelle with us now from Fletcher. Now, your father has an esophagus problem, Michelle? He does. Hello, Dennis. How are you? Uh, well, indeed. How are you? Good, thank you. Good. My dad's also had for 20 years, um, which is probably in conjunction with it, um, mycemia gravis. Yes. Okay, so um, he has been on the prednisone. Um, he's had a few things going on, but now he's not being able to keep any of his food down. Um, you know, so I'm just wondering, any of these herbal remedies, you're talking about the turmeric and the black pepper. Yes, look, in a condition like this, it would be very difficult to give sensible and safe information on the telephone. Uh, where do you live? At Fletcher. Look, it's probably wise to come into the rooms and have a word with me, because I wouldn't do justice to your question or to your dear dad just by mentioning one or two things. Um, come and have a talk with me in my rooms. We'll sneak one more call in now. Cathy is with us from New Lambton. Uh, issue with bad breath, is it, Cathy? Yes. Hi. Um, good afternoon. Hello, it's Cathy. Hello, Dennis. The question um, is to do with mm-hmm. my daughter. Yes. She's 19. Yes. She's had um, bad breath for quite a number of years now. Yes, yes. Def- Definitely not her teeth. Yes. But she complains about always having a dry mouth. Can a lack of saliva be a problem in bad breath or, or not? In my opinion, it could be. Have you had that looked at? No, I sort of haven't known where to go. We looked at the teeth situation and, and haven't really been well, able I think, to come up with anything I think, else. I think the chronic dryness of the mouth should be raised with your GP. That may be indi- indicative of a, a condition that's contributing to it. But if that is not, go to my rooms at Alma Road and get some liquid chlorophyll. Right. Liquid chlorophyll is one of the most successful little devices for camouflaging or helping manage halitosis. Two things, get the dry mouth thing looked at by a GP. Secondly, get to the rooms at Alma Road, get some liquid chlorophyll. That'll help us straight away. All right, great news. There you go. Thank you, Kathy, for your call. And to all of our callers today, uh, we thank you so much. We'll be back doing it again next week. Dennis Stewart, have a lovely week. Same with you, Dave. I hope you enjoyed that lovely week. I will love it. I can't (laughs) wait to have that, honey. That's going to be nice. Yeah. Thank you, Dennis Stewart. That is Health Naturally. Back at midday next Friday here at 2NURFM.